0: Ruth, but I'd encourage you to keep sharing. Ruth chapter 4. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray and dive in to the end of this really neat love story. Ruth chapter 4. If you want to follow along as I read. Boaz, I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it. I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, Sounds good. I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, Well, so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, sounds good, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, well, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi, also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Well, then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I, I can't do it. Well, now in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. And this publicly validated the transaction. Sounds like a good way to do things, don't you think? So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land. And he handed his sandal to Boaz. Then Boaz said to the elders, And to the crowd standing around, your witnesses, that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Killian, and Malin. And with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malin, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So, Ru- so Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a Redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Quite a bit different than how Naomi described Ruth at the beginning, saying that she was empty. I mean, Ruth was of no value to her at all. Verse 16, so Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. And the neighbor women said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of King David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Pat and Erica, Jake and Susanna, you might want to be thinking about these names. (laughs) Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. <coughs> Sorry, I got a call. That's the story. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as uh, we just wrap up this love story today about Ruth and Boaz, that you would open our eyes to, to see and understand redemption that is being so eloquently <coughs> described here. Father, help, help us to understand it, to, uh, to rejoice in it, to grasp it, Father, that that our lives would be lives, that we would become that redemptive community that you long for your church to be. Teach us, I pray this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't mean to get all choked up over that story. and they lived happily ever after <laughs> now that's the kind of that's the that's the kind of books i like to read <laughs> that's the kind of movies i like to watch i'm not into greek tragedies i've never read been interested in or watched or been interested in watching romeo and juliet why? I mean, why would you want to watch a tragedy? I like triumphs. That's why I like movies like Saving Private Ryan. A lot of because in the midst, and I mean, there's and in the midst of triumph, there's often tremendous cost, isn't there? And yet, and yet, when you come to the end, in the midst of the cost that some have been willing to count, there's tremendous triumph. Um, or, or a movie on the flip side of it, something like The Pursuit of Happiness, you know? Where somebody, it's like they lost everything, they were at the, at, they were at the bottom, and then through the cost that they were willing to count, um, they triumph. I love them because they motivate me and they encourage me to continue to count the cost in order to triumph myself. In order to be used by God as a part of a global rescue and redemption mission that God is about. As it describes in Colossians 1, to see people transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Man, what a, what, a great, what, what better mission could there be? I mean, that makes saving Private Ryan look like nothing. As we think about the global rescue mission that God is about and that he calls us to be a part of rescuing people from the kingdom of darkness and seeing them transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom there's redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And yet, it seems to me, and it, and it's one of the things that grieves me the most, that, that so many of us are content to just get by. To just... Follow the path of least resistance and to just be the most comfortable we can be, experience the most pleasure that we can experience instead of truly experiencing the transforming difference of redemption. Now when we come to the end of this story, it's a, and they lived happily ever after. I mean, if you, if you were listening, you didn't fall asleep when I was reading. I mean, the whole, the, the last verses from verse, verse 11 to the end, it's just this, it's the community together just full of exuberant joy and, and, and blessing and excitement about this happily ever after ending that we see Boaz and Ruth enjoying. But I want you to understand that the happily ever after that we see in verses 11 to the end of chapter 4, the only reason the happily ever after happens is because of the cost that Boaz is willing to count. Now, I don't want you to forget chapters 1 through 3 and... And I'm going to recap it really briefly for some of you that weren't here or some of you that have a short attention span. The story starts with Naomi in Moab, enemy territory. She's left Israel to go to Moab because, in her own words, she's left empty with nothing. She has nothing except this young Moabite daughter in law who won't let her go. who won't leave her, who clings to her and says, your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And and for some reason, this young Moabite girl, clinging to Naomi, returns with her to Israel with hopes that under the wings of the God of Israel, as Boaz describes it in chapter 2, she might find refuge. She might find hope. And so as they return to Israel, Naomi and Ruth, Naomi is absolutely hopeless. She she's she 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 believes that God is against her, that God has caused her uh, this tragedy that has, that has come upon her. And she's at home just watching T V, eating donuts. Now that's not a bad thing. No, <laughs> She can't get up in the morning, life isn't worth living, and she's, that's, that's just where she's at. But for some reason, like I said, for some reason, this young Moabite woman who should have no hope herself coming into the land of Israel, because it makes it really clear in Deuteronomy chapter 23: three that no Moabite shall ever, ever, even to the tenth generation, which means forever have a part in the assembly of Israel. And so this young Moabite woman enters the land of Israel and should have no hope and yet for some reason she seeks after hope under the wings of the God of Israel. And so she asked Naomi if she can go glean in the fields because it's the beginning of barley harvest and and the law made provision for it, and so Naomi says yes, and Ruth goes to glean in the fields, meaning to follow behind the harvesters and pick up the little scraps that they drop, and with those little scraps, try to eke out a living and make it. And so Ruth does that. Well, by chance, in chapter two, it says, by chance she chanced upon the field owned by Boaz, who by chance just happens to be very wealthy, just by chance just happens to be eligible, single, by chance just happens to be a very close relative, a redeemer, one who is able to help them get their land back and provide that the name of their husbands wouldn't be lost in Israel. And so by chance she chances upon his field and Boaz sees her and asks about her and and her name is already spread, the honorable woman that she is, and so he says, Stay here with my with my workers. And so through the barley harvest and through the wheat harvest, Ruth continues to glean. In fact, it, it's not no longer even gleaning, because Boaz says, Let her let her harvest right in the midst of the harvesters. And so she harvests right in the midst of harvesters like she was one of his workers um, because he's beginning to get a little twitter-pated with this young Moabite woman. Well, in chapter 3, Naomi is beginning to see that maybe God isn't against them after all. And that maybe all these chance things that are happening is really God's sovereign working <laughs> and goodness and grace working in their lives. And so she says, Ruth, I want you to do this. And so as Daniel preached last week, the uh, Naomi sends Ruth on this um, Marriage proposal mission, kind of an unusual way of doing it, um, and instructs her to go where Boaz is at, on the th- at the threshing floor to go and lay at his feet to 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 lift up the blanket that's on his feet and and put it over her and lay there until he wakes up and realizes, and and he did, and he was surprised and shocked and realized it was her and and was amazed at what she was offering, that she was offering to be his wife as opposed to some younger guy that she could have gone after and had a, a great life with maybe to be his wife so that her husband's name and Naomi's land, Elimelech's land, could be redeemed and carried on in the land of Israel. And he's astounded. And as we come to chapter 4, he's prepared to act on it. So that's where we are this morning. But I want you to realize that the reason, again, we come to where we're at this morning is because Ruth is a gal that should have no hope, but is seeking hope in God under his wings. And that's where we are. Every one of us should be out this morning or have understood or learned that. Because this morning, we are all Moabites. That's what we are. So often we don't understand redemption because we so trivialize it. Or we're so used to just trying to get by or be comfortable or get the most pleasure out of life we can. We trivialize redemption. We don't realize the cost of redemption or the value of redemption. And so we just go through life. But I want you to understand as we come to chapter 4, we come... The, the two key people are, first of all, Ruth. We come to this chapter because Ruth realized she was a Moabite, realized she was a stranger, and yet she sought hope in the midst of a hopeless situation in the God of Israel. She wasn't content. You know, she could have stayed in Moab. She could have found a nice Moabite guy, married, had kids, But she saw her hope in the God of Israel. And and there's some of you here this morning that need to see that, that your hope is only in the God of Israel. It's only in God. It's not in a guy. It's not in a gal. It's not in a job. It's not in money. It's not in... I mean, Not that any of those things aren't important, but foundationally, our hope has got to be in God. We've got to see that our hope is in redemption. It's under his wings. It's not in Moab. It's not in the world. And Moab is kind of a a picture of the world. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And when she came to Israel, it wasn't in some other young guy. It was redemption that she was after. And that's when we come to chapter 4 and the happily ever after. It's a happily ever after because she accepted nothing short of redemption as what she needed in life. Do you realize this morning your need of redemption? Have you come to recognize, like Ruth, that (sighs) there's no more hope (laughs) in all the things that you've been pursuing and seeking after and trying to find hope in? Your God will be my God, and under his wings alone you'll seek refuge. And I want to interject just here a sec before we're going to focus on Boaz, that, that what I'm saying I realize is very hard. It's hard to explain. I mean, see, we, we're looking at the end of the story, but think about Ruth, as she was gleaning in the fields of Boaz, and even though... He'd taken notice of her and invited her to, to harvest right amongst her harvesters. I mean, it was the whole barley harvest. And then it was the whole wheat harvest. And, and she didn't know how many more harvests she I mean, in her thinking, she had come to seek refuge under the wings of the God of Israel and redemption from him, and her hope was in him. But she didn't know how long it was going to take. It's one of the reasons that we. We sell ourselves short and settle for less than redemption because we just get tired of waiting, don't we? You know, I've, I've, given, I've heard so many times people have said, I've given that a try. I've tried God. Yeah, I went to church. I read, I read my Bible. I, I just, willing to settle for something short of redemption. Don't do it. And if you've been doing it, quit doing it. And again, commit yourself to seek refuge alone and redemption under the God of Israel. Rescue never happens on our own time schedule, does it? (laughs) Our own terms. (coughs) When we get impatient, we settle for less. Let's seek refuge under the God of Israel. And I want you to realize, if it seems impossible to you, you're in good company because Ruth was a Moabite, remember? And in Deuteronomy 23.3, it says, No Moabite or their descendants shall ever be a part of the assembly of Israel. I mean, if that's hopeless, what else is hopeless? So if you think your situation is hopeless and you've given up hope and you're settling for drink or sex or or another sick relationship or, or whatever else it is, you're just settling to make the most and get the most comfort and pleasure out of this world because it seems impossible. It could not be more impossible than Ruth's situation. She was a Moabite. And what would it take for her to be redeemed? As we come to chapter 4, it, it's laid out really clear. Look at uh, verse Verse 5. As Boaz kind of pulled a fast one on this close relative, he says, would you like to buy the land? And the guy says, well, of course I'd like to buy the land. I could use some more cash income. And then Boaz says, well, of course. He's kind of a sly guy. (laughs) Verse 5, your purchase also requires that you marry Ruth, the widow, And that way, you can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. And we see three things there that redeeming Ruth meant, which makes it seem even more impossible. Number one, it's that she was a Moabite, okay? Number two, so somebody needed to be willing to marry a Moabite, whose then their descendants might be despised. (laughs) Look down upon, outcasts in Israel, not able to be a part of the assembly of Israel. Number two, someone willing to make an investment and then lose it. What do I mean by that? That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. And in Leviticus 25, we see an interesting thing. We see something called the year of jubilee, where every 50 years, Any land that had been purchased from somebody in order to help them out of poverty would go back to them. So if Boaz is to purchase Mary Ruth, a Moabite, his kids might be outcasts, and the land that he's purchasing isn't going to be his. It's going to go back to a family, Naomi. And Ruth's kid, this is the third thing, who is going to be raised with whose name? Malin's name, not Boaz's. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 25, it says in, in, in instituting this law that the child that will be born meaning Boaz's Ruth's kid here, child that will be born, will have the name of the dead husband. So what's the cost of redemption? Of redeeming this Moabite widow, (laughs) who's an outcast in Israel, And in order to marry her and redeem the land that'll stay in that family's name and the kid that'll be raised with the dead husband's name, what is the point? That's the cost of redemption. Do you understand that? The cost of redemption. Listen to this. This is, to me, one of the most powerful psalms. Psalm 49. It says, verse 8, it says, redemption... Does not come so easily, for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. Do you get that? That's way back in the Psalms. It says redemption isn't an easy thing. And man, so often we trivialize it like, what's the big deal? You know? And so we, we think we can demand redemption. What's the big It says redemption doesn't come easily, for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. Do you understand that? To move beyond this life into the ever-after life, happily ever after, it doesn't come easily. Redemption is costly. Verse 15 gives the answer. Psalm 49, but as for me, it says, God will redeem my life. (coughs) He will snatch me from the power of the grave. And that's the point of this story in Ruth. It's to ultimately became Jesus, but to point us to that descendant Jesus and the amazing costly redemption that he has provided for us. Do we understand that? It's so easy for us to just trivialize the redemption that is ours in Christ. Number one, because we forget that we're Moabites. In Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 3.10-12, it says, there's none righteous, there's none good, there's none that seeks after God. We're all Moabites. We're all outcasts. We're all strangers. We're all set apart. We're all separated from God because of our sin. We're all Moabites. And redemption is costly. What it cost Christ to redeem us I mean, what it cost Boaz to redeem Ruth was amazing. What he was willing to sacrifice, the shame, the selflessness, the sacrifice in order to redeem Ruth. Think of what it cost Christ to redeem us. Isaiah 53 says he was despised and rejected. John chapter 1, it says he came into his own and his own rejected him. In John chapter 8, we hear the Pharisees, the religious leaders, sneering at him, saying, we're not illegitimate like you. And so the virgin birth, the way that our God came to supernaturally be born and redeem us, the slur and the rejection and the mocking that he experienced. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That's costly. In 2 Corinthians 8, it says, he who was rich for our sakes became poor. That's costly. And so our Redeemer came. He offered himself. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends, denied by the rest of them. Mocked, made fun of, ridiculed, rejected, experienced a torturous death on the cross so that by his blood we can be redeemed. Redemption is costly. Well, the happily ever after in Ruth chapter 4 happens because Boaz is willing to pay that price. He's willing to marry an outcast Moabite, purchase the land that's going to go back to that family, marry her and have a kid who will be her dead husband's kid in order to redeem her. That's amazing. The question is, as we kind of come to the end, why in the world would Boaz do that? Why in the world would Boaz do that? And as we think about it by extension, why in the world would Jesus do that? (laughs) Why in the world would Jesus go through what he went through? The God of this universe, the sovereign God of this universe become poor, become sin, despised and rejected in order to redeem us. Well, as we look at Boaz and as we look at Jesus, I think the answer is the same. Love. I mean, Boaz is just... He's just captured by Ruth. She doesn't have anything to offer him. Do we understand that? <laughs> she has nothing to offer him that he doesn't have. He has it. He's giving it up to redeem her. We have nothing to offer Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> He gains nothing by redeeming us. He gives up everything. Philippians chapter 2, it's powerful. It says he emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a bondservant, went to the cross in order to purchase our redemption. It's just love. It's just love. I mean, Boaz, for some reason, was just, Twitter-painted. It's the way it works, isn't it? <laughs> it's the way way love works. It's like, why do we just... I mean, I, there's wrong ways it works, but I'm saying the right way, true love works, it's just we're captured. We fall in love. And we just want to give ourselves to this person. We want to... We we're not doing it to get something from them. That's not love. That's sick. That's lust. That's how I describe most marriage relationships today when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling. I'm saying too often it's just two leeches trying to get what they can out of each other. Right? That's how most relationships are and why most relationships fall apart. But true love is about... just. We just love and we want to just give and give and give of ourselves for that person and that's what Boaz wanted to do. God so loved the world that he gave, right? John 3.16, his son. In Psalm chapter 18, it says he rescued us because he delighted in us. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's Jesus. He rescues us because he delights in us. Not because he needs us or because we have something offer, Just simply because he delights in us. He delights to redeem us. Because it glorifies him. And it reveals him to be the lover that he is. The gracious God that he is. The merciful, loving God that he is. And so for the joy set before him, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of the Father. For the joy set before him, what was that joy? Us. (laughs) Those that he would give his life for, that we be with him. that's why they did it well does it make a difference redemption man you can't read the book of Ruth and not believe that it makes a difference let me let me just review a couple of things number one would we know anything about Ruth if she'd stayed in Moab never heard of her and And what was the name of that other close relative? Anybody remember his name? No, he doesn't have a name. Well, he had a name, but we don't care about his name. And his name doesn't mean anything because he wasn't willing to redeem, count the cost, give his life. And so the name that we know is what? Boaz, the Redeemer. Does redemption make a difference? Oh my goodness. A young Moabite outcast married to this guy Boaz who's willing to give up everything in order to redeem her. What do they have? They have a boy and his name is Obed and his son is Jesse and his son is King David, the guy that I was named after. And his great, 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 great grandson is Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The privilege of counting the cost of being a redeemer and the difference it made in our world. The redeemer. And I want you to see one more thing at the end of this story. Boaz was willing to count the cost, give up his life for this gal because he loved her. And you notice whose name is included in the genealogy? Boaz. Isn't that interesting? Because what we're told in the story and what the law teaches is that the person who marries the widow, what they're doing is having a child who will bear the name of the dead husband. And that dead husband then that child will be in his life. But that's not the way it's listed, isn't that great? It's the beauty of redemption, of grace. It's the story we see, and if you turn to Matthew chapter 1, that's what we see. We see four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus, and one of them is Ruth. And the husband is Boaz. Because redemption is all about the beauty of God's grace. Redeeming Moabites. Rescuing Moabites and making their lives what they could never be, happily ever after. Happily ever after. On my dad's desk, my dad was a preacher, and um, he had this huge desk. My dad had an office all to himself. I have a small desk with 10 other desks crammed upstairs. (laughs) My dad, one of the things I liked about his desk, he had a glass top on it. And um, under that glass top was just dozens of quotes that uh, would inspire him and remind him. And one of the quotes, actually the only one that I remember, um, under my dad's glass top desk, and I'm going to give a rough paraphrase of it, but it's one that has stuck to me. And it captures the truth of Ruth. It's by Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. And he said something like this. He said, I would rather experience the failure of defeat or the joy of victory than live in the gray gray twilight of mediocrity. That's Ruth. That's redemption. That's what we all need. We need to not just want to get by, not just make the most of life, but realize that to live happily ever after, and I mean ever after, eternally, it's going to be settling for nothing short of redemption. Redemption. What Jesus, our Redeemer, came to offer us at the cost of his life, the cost of everything, to make us his own, his children. That's why I'm called a Christian, a follower of Christ. I'm a descendant of Christ, a brother of Christ. And that's what he calls us to be, people of redemption, a community of redemption who settle for nothing less, who want to be a part of the rescue operation of the ages. Rescuing people from the kingdom of darkness and seeing them transferred to the kingdom of... Not just... And it's important. I mean, as a ministry, we're a part of trying to help people find jobs. That's important. And find housing. And and everything else. Education. But if that's all we do for them, and we don't help them to see that what will really help them live happily ever after is redemption, and we've fallen way short of where we should. If you're here this morning and and you haven't been redeemed, ah, I invite you this morning to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And A little bit later, as we finish singing, we're going to break bread. We're going to have communion together, and we're going to invite those of you who have accepted the redemption that's in Christ, the sacrifice that he paid on your behalf. By faith you believe in that. We're going to invite you to come up and tear off a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice. And we are so cutting edge this morning, we have a gluten-free option. Because Jesus came to redeem even gluten-free people. Sorry, I just totally spaced out. (laughs) But as people are coming up and enjoying the remembrance of how Christ has redeemed them, and you haven't experienced that, I encourage you don't come up, but pull me aside and say, I want to be redeemed. Or after it's over, pull one of us aside and say, I haven't experienced redemption. I haven't been rescued. I'm still a Moabite. I'm still in my sin trying to get by, trying to make the most of life, but I want to experience the redemption, the happily ever after that's only available in Jesus. Please do that. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. It's a great old hymn. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His... (coughs) infinite mercy, thank you. His child and forever I am. Redeemed, redeemed redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever. Is that you? Is that true about you? That's the community that he's called us to be. Let's pray. Father, ah, thank you for the beautiful story, this love story of Boaz and Ruth and and the love story that you want us to be a part of with Jesus. Oh, how he loves. Oh, how he loves. Like a hurricane, (laughs) thank you for the love story that you offer us to be a part of in relationship with Jesus. Ah, Jesus, thank you so much for the cost that you were willing to count in order to be our Redeemer. Amen.